the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in, in what part of the country? <laughs> Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. The Jewish Hour can now be heard on jcastnetwork.org, your portal to Jewish broadcasting. It's also on iTunes and on your smartphone using the Stitcher app. One, two, three, four. Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Finman. We've got a great show for you today. In this half hour, we will be featuring two interviews. First interview we scheduled a while ago, Rabbi Simone Jacobson, who's coming to town on May 6th to speak for the SAJE organization at the Berman Center, will be coming and talking to us about the relevance of Judaism. And because of what's happened last this week in Boston, we have the Chabad rabbi of downtown Boston who was on the scene at the time, Rabbi Yosef Zaklis. That'll be at the bottom half of the hour. We might be able to squeeze in a song, maybe, 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 but if we do, it will be a cappella. We've got some insights into the portion of the week, which this week is the portion of Amor, which can be found in chapter 22 of the book of Leviticus, and for 21 and the book of Leviticus, and further, a really cute, this is like one of those cute Hasidic stories, very uh, insightful Hasidic story at the end. Before we do anything else, let's go right to the news. U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry told Congress that he sees a maximum two-year window to bring about a two-state solution to the Israel-Palestinian conflict. That means if it's not done within the next two years, it's not going to happen. I don't know if that's an ultimatum or not. But Kerry delivered his remarks to a hearing of the U.S. House of Representatives Foreign Affairs Committee. A Salafi jihadist group claimed responsibility for this week's rocket attack on this Israeli city of Eilat. 
The rocket was fired from the Sinai, a hotbed of terrorist activity since the fall in 2001 of former Egyptian President Hosni Mubarak. One rocket exploded in the backyard of a private home. The other landed in an open area. No one was hurt. Hamas security forces in Gaza have banned fishermen from setting sail since Monday. Naval security forces imposed the ban after three prisoners escaped from a Gazan jail on Monday, and they are concerned of the security of the port. Hmm, interesting, and Israeli is, Israel's not worried about things getting smuggled into the port, right? Palestinians threw firebombs in an Israeli vehicle Thursday night on the highway near Modi'in. No damage or injury was reported. IDF forces were searching for the area. Searching the area, no arrests have been made at this time. An IAF investigation determined that the cause of last month's helicopter crash that killed the two two Air Force men was because of a broken back rudder blade. All Cobra helicopters were grounded immediately after the crash and will be up quite literally and running again this week. Israel is the first nation to buy the U.S.-made V-22 Osprey, which combines a, which combines a combination helicopter and jet airplane. The sale will take, be finalized this week as U.S. Secretary of Defense Chuck Hagel visits Israel. Israel also buy new missiles designed to take out enemy radar. Israel will pay for all this with the money it receives from the United States, which I don't understand. Why don't you just give them the stuff and have them make them pay for the stuff? And we pay for the stuff and they just take the stuff. I don't know. Everything works out. Economy Minister Naftali Bennett signed a long-term research and development agreement with the government of Guangdong, China. According to the agreement, hundreds of Israeli companies, including many high-tech startups, will operate in Guangdong, with the Chinese government expected to invest some $220 billion, that's with a B, billion dollars in R&D. Yaniv Daor, an Israeli opera singer, was attacked by stink bombs in the middle of a performance in South Africa. A woman stormed the stage shouting pro-Palestinian slogans. Daor, actually, probably because of his IF training, basically tackled her and carried her off stage where she was arrested by security. The irony is that Daor himself is pro-Palestinian. A letter written by Alfred Dreyfus, a French Jewish soldier who was wrongfully convicted of spying against France, is expected to sell for at least $130,000 in an auction in Paris this week. The letter was written to France's Secretary of the Interior, pleading his case. And finally, Gestio, we, we should know that Israel is indeed a safer country now because based on a tip from Interpol, that's one of those things you hear about in those Jane Bonds movie, okay? Based on a tip from Interpol, customs inspectors at Ben-Gurion Airport arrested two smugglers who tried to bring in 30 poison dart frogs known as Dendrobatiadai, the release of which into Israel's environment could have been catastrophic. The invasive species would have destroyed local aquatic life. The frogs are a half, to, a half to two inches long when fully grown and are very colorful. The frogs sell in Europe for 50 to 120 euros each. And that's the news. Why go to a hospital get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? 
Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Finman, here you are listening to the Jewish Hour. We have online noted author, scholar, lecturer, Rabbi Simone Jacobson. He's been on before. Thank you so much again for gracing our airways, Rabbi Jacobson. My pleasure to be here, and all those accolades really uh, are impressive. <laughs> okay, fair enough. You're coming to Detroit on May the 6th. You're going to be speaking for the uh, organization known as SAGE, S-A-J-E, at the Berman Center. I think it's 730. Check your local listings. And uh, tickets are limited as the uh, size of the Berman Center only holds 600 people. Act now. Uh, something to do with the relevance of Judaism. It sounded like when I saw the topic, I was my eyebrow kind of like went up to my head a little bit and was wondering, do people still question the relevance of Judaism, Rabbi Simone Jacobson? <laughs> Your question both makes me cry and laugh. I'll tell you why. Because when you have 50% intermarriage and even higher rates of assimilation, you know, in business they would say if uh, half the population is not interested and clearly they don't find relevance to it. So unfortunately, we must say, yes, I think that's a great, maybe the greatest challenge of our time, because when things are relevant, you pursue it, and if they're not, unfortunately, uh, you pursue other options. I mean, I think they say statistics show, I'm not sure what the exact numbers, 30, 40, 50% of Buddhists in America are Jewish. What does that tell you? That Jews are seekers, and they don't, they're not finding it in their own backyard. So I think... Uh, I don't know if there's a better way of putting it, uh, but uh, they say Torah, Melosh, and Torah Torah's meaning, the primary meaning of Torah is directive, uh, instruction, a guide, a relevant guide to life. So my answer is yes, absolutely. Uh, many Jews do not see the relevance of Judaism, unfortunately. Uh-huh. Well, the people who most of the, I'm not being, I'm being glib a little bit, but the people who are attending such a lecture, wouldn't they say that Judaism is relevant to begin with? And that's why they're going to the lecture? Um, well, look, I think uh, Jews are, are a curious bunch. They have a full of paradox. I find Jews can be seekers and skeptics and atheists and believers all in one. And I think uh, feeding into that curiosity, which is a very Jewish trait, even those that, for example, may not even really attend synagogue, but nevertheless comes Yom Kippur, Passover, Abar Mitzvah, there's something that resonates or rings. And I think I find it more like almost a frustration that people have that they, on one hand, cannot deny that we have a almost 4,000-year heritage to deal with. At the same time, don't really know how to apply it. So I don't think it's um, like there's a, a, a the resistance more out of ignorance, if anything, than out of a malicious uh, um, being turned off, even though there are plenty of stereotypes and plenty of alienation going on. But I find, I mean, I'm not sure exactly this audience, but if it's a cross-section of, let's say, the Jewish population anywhere in the United States, they're probably going to have a mix. You know, people who are curious, you know, people who bring their friends, and of course there's people that are 
very much eager and seeking to uh, um, enhance their Jewish uh, experience. Um, so I think it's a really a diverse uh, type of uh, um, audience in most cases. Mm-hmm. Now, in the 1940s, when the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe came to settle in America, there, there are talks which are recorded how appalled the, the rabbi was at the state of um, societal Judaism, or, or uh, what do you call it, uh, congregational Judaism, making uh, lamenting of the nature that the, the president of the shul has to be a businessman so he can fire the rabbi and that type of things. Would we say that our present situation with Judaism in America, 50% is uh, intermarriage rate, how knows how fast people are assimilating because once they assimilated, they're gone. We can't count them anymore. But this is a long-standing problem, no, Rabbi Jacobson? Absolutely. You know, there was an expression, uh, I think it was the turn of the century, the 20th century, when, when the first large immigration came from Eastern Europe, especially after the pogroms in Kishinev and so on, you know, the first immigration of Jews in the early 20th century, was America is different. You're going over now to a free country. You don't have pogroms. You don't have uh, genocides and, and uh, expulsions. But as soon as you get off the boat... Don't think you're going to be able to keep Shabbos. Don't think you can be able to keep your beard. Don't think you can continue doing what you did in the old stuff. And people got over the board with that attitude. I, I, I've heard from many that their parents and grandparents used to kiss, and, kiss them goodbye, saying, we're saving your body, but we know that the Judaism is going to probably be compromised. It was like a sad, it was a mixed, uh, bittersweet experience. And I think this an American, uh, I guess, uh, freedom, prosperity, dream, with all his blessings, also created a deep um, element, I would say, complacency and apathy that ultimately began to corrupt or deteriorate the core. And uh, and when we went to 1940, 1950, after World War II especially, everyone had written their obituary that Jewish life would no longer be the same as it was in the old step. The previous Lubavitch Rebbe obviously went to war with that, with that attitude. But I think, yeah, you think about a synagogue today, and most synagogues are embroiled with that type of battle. The rabbi is not the one that's in control. It's the board, or it's the wealthiest guy in town. And it's a, uh, it, it turns off, frankly, many, many people. Um, in a way, many people, like one person told me who's a part of a synagogue, he says, listen, it's, uh, it's the best of the worst that I can have. I want a synagogue. I want my children to go, but it's not what my optimal experience I think you're hitting the nail right on the head. I think it's a major problem in institutional Judaism, which brings me back to a key, the fact of the relevance. Without spirituality, without a deep spiritual understanding of what it means to be a Jew, just mechanical Judaism alone can be rendered, especially in our times, almost uh, almost completely irrelevant. And I think the previous Lubavitch Rebbe, since you mentioned him, his biggest battle was against this apathy, and the bureaucracy of it, but he also had a solution. It wasn't a war against. It was reintroduce or introduce the concept of what a Hasidic Rebbe, like the previous Rebbe's research for Chabad Hasidic, which is a deep spiritual um, vitality in Judaism, understanding its uh, personal connection to our souls, to our psyches, to our emotional and and the psychological uh, um, welfare. And uh, it's an elaborate system, and that ultimately is what feeds the soul, and I think that is the antidote 
to the so-called mechanics or bureaucracies of Judaism that have unfortunately um, uh, uh, dominated in this country. Mm-hmm. A lot of this, it would say, would have to be in education, I would think. My mother, of blessed memory, went to yes. Hebrew school, afternoon school. She actually called it, she didn't call it Hebrew school. She called it Cheder. And she went every single day, five days a week, from four until six. And she picked up, you know, they taught her Yiddish, and they taught her how to daven, and they taught her mechanical Judaism. By the time that I came to this rite of passage known now as Hebrew school, it was three days a week. And I learned how to translate a little bit of Hebrew and not so much even how to pray. By that time, the sitter was already, uh, davening was sort of like uh, relegated to like maybe 20 minutes here and there. We'd learn how to say the Shema, this type of things. Now, Hebrew school is generally once a week. And if the the teacher tries to talk about, say, Shabbos or kosher, he gets knocked, knocked back. And this is a true story. I was once heard from a person that said, when he asked the principal, if I can't talk about Shabbos or kosher, what should I talk about? So the principal told him, just talk about Judaism. So please comment, Rabbi Simone Jacobson, about this uh, deteriorating attitude in education. Um, the best way I can put it, and I'm going to quote some Chabad, starting from the Balatanya of Shneer Zalman, and of course the previous Lubavitch Rebbe, and our Lubavitch Rebbe, who is my mentor and teacher, Rabbi Nachman Shneerson. Judaism has a body and a soul like anything in life. If you only experience the body of something, it's a corpse. Pardon the morbid reference. Um, a soul brings things alive. And the same is true with the tradition. You know, you're coming from Passover, you go to other holidays, the Shabbos, uh, Sabbath, and other Jewish traditions. You know, Hanukkah could be about latkes, where you eat potato latkes, the blintzes on shavuos, and so on. And there's traditions, and there's nostalgia, and there's even, you can even say some heartwarming things. Or it's infused as well with a deep spirituality, where a holiday is not just a commemoration of things that happened thousands of years ago. It's not just old, ancient history. It's happening now. It's alive in your life. It's relevant because it can provide tools, life skills, how to deal with relationships, how to deal with love and marriage, how to deal with pain and suffering, how to deal with your children, that, and then it makes it relevant. I wrote a book called Torah Meaningful Life. It basically distilled ideas from the teachings of the Babacher Rebbe, which are really itself distilled from 90 generations of Torah scholarship going back to Moses. What is its underlying message? Meaningful life. Any area of your life that you're dealing with, and who's not dealing with issues, whether it's health, whether it's uh, financial money, whether, as I mentioned, family, children, relationships, the Torah has an absolutely relevant message. And unfortunately, the Cheder system, the school system, today at best teaches us facts. Teaches the facts. This is what you do. This is what you don't do. This you're allowed to do. You read the Bible. But I can speak from my own experience. And I went to yeshiva. And I went to good yeshivas, you know, with, with that taught uh, spiritual ideas. But even that, when it once became a type of institutional thing, it, ha- it tends to lend itself to very much like a like cookie-cutter model. You don't feel emphasis on individual spirit. You don't feel the emphasis on that you have a mission to fulfill that is indispensable, and, uh, and you have particular skills to spiritualize this world. That type of like revolutionary, uh, called free-spirited attitude, pioneers like Abraham and Moses, unfortunately, 
much of Judaism today is rendered, and I mean, I don't mean actual Judaism, I mean the way it's presented, is rendered very conformist, very conformist, uh, very dogmatic. And uh, so it's, 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 uh, that shouldn't surprise anyone why the cream of the crop, or even anyone, will may not uh, want to embrace something that's just being preached to them. So I, I can't emphasize this enough. Without infusing it with the soul, without teaching our children from young age, when we have, I'm sorry about that. Mm-hmm. Without infusing it with the soul, like telling your children before they go to sleep and wake up in the morning, why is it, what does it mean to be Jewish? Not just to do the traditions, but what does it mean personally? What does it mean spiritually? What does it mean emotionally? Unfortunately, it becomes extremely difficult, especially in the marketplace and com- of competitive ideas out there that are attracting and distracting everybody any given moment. Okay. Our guest today, if you're just tuning in, is Rabbi Simone Jacobson, uh, who is a noted author, lecturer, scholar. We've had him on before. We'll probably have, hopefully, have him on again. Um, we're talking about relevance. When I was first becoming religious, there was a Hasidic rabbi in the neighborhood who ran the local had a little shtibel, a little a little shul, a synagogue. And I started coming in Shabbos morning, Saturday morning, to go to prayers. And he invited me over once before. He said, come over to my house beforehand for, you know, a piece of cake and some coffee, which gastro-Judaism is the way to go. And if you want to get to anybody, especially I was uh, 16 and a half years old, all you had to do was say the word food, and I was there. I was a bit taken aback by this rabbi when I came in and he and I got the cake and I got the coffee and he sat there reading the newspaper. He was reading the local newspaper and I was thinking this is a rabbi who should be doing some kind of like philosophical study. I was like very philosophically minded. I was like looking for infinity. Uh, infinity. This was the 70s and I was just like, you know, all over the place and, you know, and he's reading the newspaper and I could not understand why was he reading the newspaper? And I didn't have the audacity to ask him, like, hey, you're reading the newspaper. You should be doing something, like, philosophical to prepare yourself. When he got up to give his lecture the, between, in the middle of the, give his sermon in the middle of the services, it was based on the day's headline. And he tied the whole thing, what well, I don't remember what, this, what it was about, what was the current event at the time, tied the whole thing into the portion of the week, which and which totally completely blew me away. Just absolutely brilliant thing to do. And I try to emulate this myself. People, I, don't, I hate to put you on the spot, but maybe you've thought about this for your coming uh, sermon that you'll be giving this week, Robbie Jacobson. The events that happened in Boston, everybody has been glued to their media to find out what happens and the speed at which things happen now is instantaneous it's like the speed of light at this point and beyond is there anything that we can prove relevant to our service to god from what happened in boston this week absolutely and i'm uh, actually very moved i was wondering whether your story is going to end like a nightmare or a happy end (laughs) you know um, the fact that he did that was amazing, and that's exactly correct. Um, look, the Boston uh, Boston Massacre, or you want to call it the Boston Marathon, disaster, and now the chase and all that, not even up to date to the last-minute news, but definitely, as, I'll just use a quote about Shemto's famous line, that everything that we see or hear, everything that happens to us, everything that makes news, obviously, is a uh, must be a lesson to us in our service of God, in our personal growth, 
Maimonides says it even stronger when he talks about the laws of fasting. He said that when the things happen, nothing is an accident, and that we have to take it to heart, and we have to look inside ourselves. So I think definitely uh, this, uh, this story in Boston, um, obviously our hearts go out to all those that were lost and wounded, and uh, it has to provoke us into thinking about several things. I mean, this is what just comes to mind all the time, without thinking much about it. Number one is what's going on with our society. Um, you know, America... Uh, again, I don't know if this is a terrorist attack. Is it an attack on uh, from Americans against Americans? Is it, does it have ideological, religious uh, connotations? I'm, you know, ignoring that because we're not sure yet what the motive was and so on. But all these attacks when you see in schools, if you were, uh, was it, earlier this year, uh, the, that massacre in the school in... Um, Connecticut. They remind me of the Sandy Hook, right? Mm-hmm. And, and a few years ago, if you recall, Columbine. In a country like ours, with all our gifts and blessings, that you have young people, just here, you know, a 19-year-old guy, going and turning on innocent people, you have to force you to think. It's one thing when it's the middle of a war. Uh, what, what's going on? What's what, where's the moral uh, spine or the moral the moral uh, foundations of this country going to? Now, again, I'm barring the fact that, of course, the whole terrorist angle. What do terrorists want? And I think Elie Wiesel said a very good point in an interview. He said we have to look at not just how to prevent, because gun control obviously is important and all that, but that's the symptom. The underlying causes of people being able to turn on each other. So it reminds me of this week's Parsha. Yes, a connection. But this week's Parsha is the most powerful mitzvah of all. The Hathalarecha Love your friend as yourself. And then your Shalmi says something very powerful. Shalmi of the Jerusalem Talmud. It says that we all human beings talks about Jewish people particularly, but also generally, the whole human being race, were all um, limbs of one large organism. And when you hurt another person, it's like hurting yourself, except we're blind to the fact. So no right hand would ever hurt a left hand because the left hand did something. So this, what's lacking in the, in the uh, world that human beings are able to turn on each other for no reason, innocent people. Now, this was a random bombing. We're not targeting an individual. Anyone, children, Adults, people who didn't never did anything for the bombers. So I think these are just provocative questions that we have to look at ourselves. It's not just oh how terrible the thing that happened in Boston. In Judaism, we like to say when there's a when there's a tragedy in one place, there's a tragedy everywhere. When there's happiness in one place, there's happiness everywhere. And I can ramble on. This is how I do a sermon, actually, since you mentioned. But I think the key is to look at an event and really apply it to our homes. I mean, all our children and the families are watching this, as you said, glued. So tonight, Friday night at the Shabbos table, or in any environment, it's important to bring up to our children and say, okay, we heard the news. Let's not just talk about who's chasing whom. What do we learn from this? What do we learn about our responsibility to each other? What do we learn about preventing things? I think it's uh, incumbent upon us to see this as a wake-up call in our own personal lives. This is, like I said, a quick overview of my own reactions. Okay, thank you very much for that. Again, we're going to have to wrap this up now. Our guest has been Rabbi Simone Jacobson, who will be at the Berman Center on May the 6th, 7.30 p.m. And uh, you, can, you can go on the Berman Center uh, or the JCC Detroit website to purchase tickets in advance or get them at the door, but you're taking your chances then because if it's filled up, well, then you're out of luck. And his topic of discussion will be, it's actually, it's part of the Journeys in Judaism series, The Future of the Jewish People, a frank discussion 
of Jewish relevance in our lives. We want to thank you so much, Rabbi Jacobson, and uh, we reserve the right to call you back again with ad lib. <laughs> it would be my honor and pleasure. Okay. Um, and great speaking, and thank you for the opportunity to share some good words. And you should have great luck in using the airwaves to really infuse them with the right messages and uh, based on Torah and Judaism and being relevant to everyone that you uh, can reach. Thank you, Amen. Okay, we're going to do it. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Chiropractic Healthcare offers patients the advantage of a safe and natural method of healing without the use of drugs or surgery. People of all ages, including children, benefit from chiropractic's unique approach to health. Call area code 248-557-1818 today to find out how chiropractic can benefit your family. At the Solomon Chiropractic Center, we especially love children. All kids should have their spines checked periodically throughout their crucial growing years. Growth on a crooked foundation will create a crooked spine and become harder to correct later in life. Kids love to get adjusted at the Solomon Chiropractic Center. And hey moms, did you know that chiropractic offers a safe, drug-free approach to helping with the many pains women often get during and after pregnancy? We even have special tables which open up so pregnant women can lay on their stomachs. We treat moms, dads, children, and grandparents with arthritic pains, neck pains, back pain, and headaches. People of all ages, including kids, benefit from chiropractic. Come experience the natural method of healing without the use of drugs or surgery. Stop living in pain. Call area code 248-557-1818 today for a free consultation at the Solomon Chiropractic Center to discuss you and your family's health needs. Remember, 557-1818. That's 557 height height. Herschel here. You are listening to the Jewish Hour. We have now on line Rabbi Yosef Zaklis, who's involved who's a Chabad rabbi in downtown Boston. How are you today, Rabbi Zaklis? Baruch Hashem. We are uh, trying to move forward as best as we can. Understood. You're you have an organization, okay. I think you're you're in Chabad of downtown Boston, correct? Correct. Okay. Could you tell us where you were, what we were doing last Monday, say at, say, 10 o'clock in the morning, and then take us through past that? Sure. Well, it's, um, well I should say at 10.30 or so, uh, you know, we have various learning activities with uh, various individuals. I'm, I'm trying to recall from 10.30 precisely, um, like I would say at midday, uh, we uh, there's a mincha minion in uh, the downtown area. Uh, regular day, beautiful, uh, breezy, perfect for a marathon. Uh, not too hot. Last year it was uh, very hot here in Boston, the marathon, and people were quite excited that it was you know kind of breeze. Daven mincha. We have a uh, short Mishnah shear after mincha. Um, everything's just one just perfectly. Everything's just like so normal. How far away is your your Chabad house from the the finish line of the marathon? So the finish line of the marathon is, I would say, about fifteen minutes is where we do we do our general activities um, in the downtown area, not far from the state house. Um, so I would say about a fifteen, maybe 10, 10 to fifteen minute walk. Okay, very close. Um, maybe very close by. Um, the Mincha Minion is actually the heart of downtown, so it's, it's a little further out. I finish Mincha Mishir. I head straight to the finish line. My uh, thought process was um, I don't have to be there for the winner. I have to be there for uh, the Hamoin Am, for the regular people who are running the marathon. 
so I wasn't there when uh, you know uh, the two runners made it at the finish line. But I would say about two-ish or so, um, give or take a bit. I arrive at, at you know to the marathon area. It's crowded. It's uh, very typical American uh, sport atmosphere. Happy everybody's cheering their loved ones, making it past the finish line. People are hanging out the windows. A very lively scene. Uh, you know, people cheer uh, uh, the marathon or those to the finish line. Um, I position myself about half a block from the finish line on the on on the on the route of the marathon. Um, and I you know, start engaging individuals to see who can put on film. That was my initial uh, reason to come. Mm-hmm. To you, you were there acting First rabbinic, place. in other words. Exactly. Definitely acting rabbinic. And, uh, you know, congratulating those who've done the 26.2-mile run. Um, out of the, you know, out of the blue, I guess, huge boom. Everybody, everybody is like, startles what is this where is this when essentially you know in, in a split split seconds um you can locate it we're able to locate it on our left side um so the people in my vicinity all turned to our right to kind of uh, move away from that and we turned into the second bomb um so there we had this fiery you know cloud fiery cloud with that crater that rim uh, you know that fierce that, uh, angry rim i should say of a fireball as it you know exploded um, pandemonium broke out people just are trapped they don't know where to go what is next and then you know uh, currently we still boston is still uh, uh in you know to some degree boston had thought we were we, we were over this the president was here yesterday um uh, but it's far from over, and most of Boston currently is in lockdown, um, you know, just not moving anywhere. It's, the streets are empty. I'm actually overlooking a pretty busy uh, intersection here, and there's uh, hardly a car in sight. Um, so, you know, that sense of being trapped, where do you go, you know, back at the at the bombing uh, on Monday, where do you go, how do you get out of here, was something that people were, were you know, panicking, crying, uh, at loss, just you know, some were holding children. It was, it was a really a horrific scene. Um, and uh, you know, uh, people took shelter initially. Uh, you know, in the nearby stores, you know, on the streets. But again, because it's you know, double uh, double whammer, I should say. It, it just there was a lot of confusion. Um, you know, as the force came, there was a lot of PlayStation at the marathon to begin with. Um, you know, we. People started, you know, they tried directing people out, and um, you know, as a rabbi, as a Chabad rabbi, you know, I tried to offer as much assistance as I could, uh, both to the police chief, uh, the police captain on the scene. I, you know, certainly offered my assistance. I offered assistance, you know, with helping direct people away from the from the um, blast initially, um, and then I continued to try to offer emotional, spiritual, and religious support, including putting on film, which I'd come for uh, in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, so be, you in essence, became a first responder then, um, right there on the on the front lines then, Rabbi Zachlis. Definitely so. I mean, I, as you know, when you're put into a situation, you try to do the best you possibly can, and uh, in that situation, we tried to do our best. Um, you know, we stayed around 
I stayed around to the uh, disaster zone, which was cordoned off quickly and, and expanding. The streets were constantly expanding as what was considered, you know, bomb zone. Um, and, uh, you know, tried, like I say, just standing on the street corner as a rabbi. Um, someone comes over to me and says, can you show me where this Jew, he had an address on a paper, he this Jewish center, where is it? I know my wife is supposed to be there. She was an elderly man. She was part, you know, she's a runner on the marathon. They stopped them there. Where is this place? I don't know where it is. Um, so I guess my appearance was, was a big uh, asset. Um, and I, you know, I kind of guided him. It happened to be about four, uh, you know, uh, maybe two, 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 three miles away from uh, where we were. But he was happy she was alive. Um, you know, just people are trying to offer some uh, positive outlook um, and a listening ear for the uh, tragedy and for the, uh, you know, people were just shell-shocked. It was, it was, Boston's a very calm, peaceful place, and, uh, you know, the, the event is a very uh, ancient event here in Boston, I should say, you know, 117th marathon, I believe in. So it, it was just... myself too I you know when I woke up that morning I didn't couldn't expect what would be um, you know what, what the day would end up uh, unfolding but we spent some of the time later after a uh, short you know short uh, I jumped home at about six o'clock and I then headed off to MGH which is the Massachusetts General Hospital which is about a three four minute walk from my home um, and uh, you know, to the chaplains, they offered our assistance there as well, which they were very appreciative, appreciative of. Um, and the following uh, morning, again, I was back in the hospital to you know see what what can uh, what I can possibly assist. Um, and during the day, actually, I uh, continued back to the to the bomb zone, and um, you know, just brought some uh, like Danishes and stuff for the various federal, local, and uh, state officials who were all on scene. And, you know, the sense of appreciation for their work and for their commitments and for their, uh, you know, awesome service here to uh, all of us. And people are very appreciative of that as well. So, you know, we're just trying to continue to be there. I mean, people are, you know, this morning people certainly woke up another shock here in Boston. Um, and uh, with, you know, the, uh, you know, no, no, you know, no um, subway service. Uh, Businesses are, for the most part, closed. Um, so it's clearly a, 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 a shock for people. And, and like I say, this unending story, unraveling story, is, is unraveling people. Indeed. So from um, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, was business being conducted sort of as, as normally? Were stores open? Were people going to work? Was the financial district open? was you know wednesday uh tuesday was still uh you know certainly people were trying to i mean the mood on the street was we have to get back to it we have to do our best we can't let this get over you know, take take us over uh clearly that was the mood um it was slowly kind of transitioning back into uh the you know day-to-day life um you know i, I live not, not far from uh from the td garden which is the um you know, the home of the uh, sports, uh, the basketball and hockey. Um, and it seemed kind of people were coming out trying to be, you know, that they're the same as they always are. Um, but uh, this morning, everything kind of 
took a big step backwards uh, in that sense. Is uh, you know people are just staying at home, not going anywhere, not doing anything, and uh, even if you wanted to, for the most part, uh, you'd have uh, quite a difficulty getting around. Like I say, no buses, no uh, no uh, subways or trolleys. Um, it's pretty much a standstill, and it's uh, for the mo- most part it's on both sides of the Charles River. Um, most of the schools are, are closed. Um, you know, my children's school, which is the New England Hebrew Academy, uh, the Chabad school here since the 1940s, um, is is sent out a, you know an email early in the morning that they were closed due to security reasons. Um, there's uh, you know all the uh, universities MIT, Harvard, um, BU, Emerson, um, uh, and, and amongst others are all closed. So it's clearly a, a, a very uh, challenging and tense. But uh, I wouldn't say at the moment I wouldn't say there's panic. It's just people are certainly stressed and tense and uh, hoping for um, you know to have that. Uh, some sort of closure and uh, be able to move forward in in the very near future. Mm -hmm. Our guest, if you're just tuning in, or if you're not just tuning in, just a reminder is Rabbi Yosef Zaklis, who is a Chabad rabbi of downtown Boston, was there at the time of the blast. Uh, We're recording this on Friday for broadcast on Sunday, and I would like to, the question I would like to ask you was, how was your Shabbos? But what are you planning for Shabbos now in lieu of what's going on? Um, the truth of the matter is, we had a number of people. Some of them were actually near um, near the uh, shooting of the officer in uh, in, uh, in MIT, MIT. Who were supposed to join us. Um, and uh, at the moment, at the moment, you know, we're on hold on that sense. We I, we did contact them to make sure they were okay. Um, there's uh, another uh, family, another number number of people here in the area that also were supposed to join us this Friday night. Um, as you can imagine, everything for the most part is uh, still, uh, you know, in uh, in question. I generally jo- uh, join Chabad to Greater Boston, which is about a 35-minute walk from where I live for Shabbat uh, and uh, for the Shabbat morning services. Um, and I have to see how that will, uh, you know, pan out as well. So just a lot of question marks. Um, but going ahead with um, with certainty that things will be good, will be, and that's the kind We're in this situation because we have the ability to uh, rise to the challenge, and not only to uh, survive, but to grow from. So we're hoping that as a community, as a, as a people, as a nation, we can you know, move ahead and really uh, progress in a way that we all look back and happy with. Okay. So you, you feel, Boston, Bill, I've been hearing so much of the resilience of the Bostonians, you know, this is, you know, they were they were attacked way back when in 1770, whatever, and this is just, you know, this will go down in the annals of history as a, as a great attack and sorry, a horrible loss. So, well, that, that, go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, no. I no, no. Go ahead. Definitely, will, definitely will be go go down as a very trying time. But um, like I said before, that these sentiments aren't only in my personal sentiments, but these are sentiments that you can speak uh, of people. You know, there's a sign and the place cards at the various sites around uh, the the blast. Boston, be strong. You know, you're, you're, you will be there, etc., etc. So it's clearly 
Um, that's clearly the sentiment of the street. And uh, like I say, today has put us back uh, in a small pace, but I'm sure we will leap forward uh, uh, in the near future. Okay, that's going to do it for this. I mean, thank you so much, Rabbi Yossi Zaklis from Chabad of downtown uh, Boston, who was there when the blast occurred and is uh, a front on the front and taking care of people as a chaplaincy and et cetera. Thank you so much and, and continued Hatzlacha, continued success in all of your work in Boston. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful Shabbos to all of you as well. Okay, take care. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Want assurance of quality and excellence in kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The Lower Peninsula of Michigan with a K. It's the symbol of the Michigan Kosher Supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com. That's M-I for Michigan, K-O for kosher, and S-U-P for supervisors, mycosup.com, and find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. The art studio of Oak Park is now accepting students. Whether you're a real beginner or have been at it for a lifetime, the art studio of Oak Park is something for you. All levels welcome, all ages welcome. Private tutoring or small friendly classes. Flexible hours available. The Art Studio of Oak Park is very affordable. Make your life better. Put art into your life. The Art Studio of Oak Park offers lessons in a strictly kosher environment. Call today, 248-542-5087. That's 248-542-5087. It's great having an art room right in the neighborhood. Herschel Finman, you're here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. It's a very, uh, very emotional uh, show today. I'm, I'm feeling myself being drained, as a matter of fact. So let's change the tone immediately. This week is the portion of MR. It can be found in Chapter 21 of the Book of Leviticus and following. The beginning of the portion deals with the various laws of being a Kohen, a priest. There are Judaism at this point. There was initially 12 tribes. Ten of the tribes got lost, leaving um, basically three tribes. And you might say, well, that's 13, but the 10 tribes include Ephraim and Manasseh, which made up the tribe of Joseph, and they were counted each as tribes. So there are 12 tribes, which were really 13, but we're not going to go into that now. Leaving the tribes of Judah, Levi, and Benjamin. Most Jews walking around are from the tribe of Judah, which is where we get the word Judaism from. A smaller minority is from the tribe of Benjamin, who don't identify themselves as such. And then there's the tribe of Levi who are do identify themselves as Levites, and a small percentage of them are the sons of direct descendants of the, of Aaron the high priest, and the beginning of the portion deals with the laws of what's involved with how does a priest take care of themselves, because it is incumbent upon the Kohanim these Cohen people, and most people that you'll meet that are named Cohen are it's a very popular Jewish name Cohen or Khan Kagan. For, are, are members of this this uh, priest class. They talks about who they're allowed to marry and who, where they're allowed to go and who they're allowed to touch and these, what they're allowed to touch. These things and always in a, the idea that they have to be in a state of ritual purity, ready to serve the Almighty. 
and there's listed various uh, physical disqualifications from working in the temple. There was no American for Disabilities Act in the, ti- in the temple. They discriminated against handicapped people. If you couldn't pull your weight, you couldn't do the job, you didn't get to work in the temple per se. Maybe they give you a job uh, in janitorial services like laundry or something like that or in the uh, in the uh, in the kitchen or something like that. Everything that appears in the Bible, and for sure if it entails part of the 613 commandments, which are what these are in this beginning of this portion, is not relevant just to select individuals. So whereas it is true today that a Kohen is not allowed to marry a divorcee, or a convert. That I'm not a Kohen. I'm probably from the tribe of Judah. I don't think I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, to tell you the truth, but I have no idea. How, is, how am I supposed to interpret these various laws of being a Kohen, of being a priest? It says way back in the book of Exodus chapter 20. The Jews were camped at Mount Sinai. And Moses went up on the mountain the second day. They got to the first day of the month of the third month, which is the month of Sivan. And uh, the second day, Moses went up the mountain to go have a nice little chat. He came down. He said, guess what? The Almighty says that you people are a nation of people priests are holy people. In that regard, we are all priests. Unlike other religions where the responsibility of the religion is relegated to the clergy. In Judaism, there is no such thing as things that have to be done specifically by a clergy person. To give the sermon in the synagogue, for example, you don't have to be a rabbi. You just have to have what to say. And believe me, I've been many, many, many services where the rabbi didn't have what to say. To perform a wedding, you don't have to be a rabbi. You have to know how to perform weddings. To do a funeral, you have to know what to do by a funeral or at a funeral. And same thing with all the other things that have to go on. You don't necessarily have to be to be a court involved with a court of law, okay? So then that requires lots of uh, study and whatnot and some ordination going on. But for day-to-day Judaism, the rabbi's just a regular Joe. And that means that the regular Joe is also a rabbi. The word rabbi comes from one of the many words in Hebrew for the verb to teach. A rabbi is a teacher. What does a teacher do? A teacher is a person who instills values, not just like Rabbi Jacobson said, not just a passer on of facts. For passing on of facts, we have these things called books. The purpose of the teacher is to convey the value, the importance of the facts, the meaning behind 
the facts, the relevance of the facts, as we're doing right now. I'm not a Kohen yet. I understand that my job, my position in the world, is one where the expression is, if you know the A of the Aleph base, if you know the first letter and that's all you know, guess what? You get to teach somebody who doesn't know even that. And that's the influence that we need to have on others because if we look at our world, it says it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a world to keep the world going. And it's, the, it's each individual's responsibility. Let's, let's coin a different phrase. It takes an individual to raise a world. Be that individual and take responsibility. We've got to take a quick commercial break and be right back. Go, don't go. You're going to really like this story. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Some of the best jobs in the world are in the radio and television industry, and you too can join the workforce in as little as eight months when you complete your hands-on training at the Spex Howard School of Broadcast Arts located in Southfield, Michigan. At Spex Howard School, students get to play and learn at the same time. Imagine spending your class time behind the microphone, spinning music and hosting your own radio show, or designing and lighting a set for your own TV program, running a camera, learning to edit, directing a program. When you go to Specs, your day will be anything but dull. And if school is this fun, imagine how exciting it is to work in the growing industry. In addition, the credits you earn while attending Specs Howard School are currently accepted at 14 area colleges and universities. If you've always wanted the best job in the world, call for a tour of Specs Howard School at 248-358-9000. That's 248-358-9000. Or visit them on the web at specshoward.edu. Specs Howard School of Broadcast Arts. This is where you start. Hi, this is Specs Howard from the Specs Howard School of Broadcast Arts. We're happy to sponsor the Jewish Hour and bring quality radio programming to the community. While much of the funding for the Jewish Hour comes from its sponsors, it's listeners like you that help keep the Jewish Hour on the air. Please send your tax-deductible donation to The Jewish Hour, 14,000 West Nine Mile Road, Oak Park, Michigan, 48237. That's 14,000 West Nine Mile Road, Oak Park, Michigan, 48237. Your help is greatly appreciated. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Want to get in touch with me? RabbiFinman.com. You get in touch with me, I get in touch with you. We become best buddies. You'll also find archive editions of the show, archive editions of the U Parsha, the Hasidic U story, the E Parsha, different media in which I convey in Judaism in a way which is interesting, exciting, and fun. Hopefully, you can let me know that you can be the judge of that. And the very important donations page. I'm not going to harp on this, I don't have time. Just go to the computer. Go to the rabbifinman.com, go to the donations page, click on the number over there, put in your own number. It's all very safe and secure. Don't like doing it that way? That's fine. Send your donation to The Jewish Hour, 15,000 West Nine Mile Road, Oak Park, Michigan, 48237. You'll be glad we did because The Jewish Hour is now in its 18th year. And since you're listening, you'd probably like it to continue more. The story involves the Lubavitcher Rebbe back in the 19, early 1970s. Um, there was a family living in Brooklyn. They had a son who was kind of sort of not really interested in, in Judaism, the relevance thereof. And they wrote to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and they said, send him to Israel and to find a proper uh, spouse. 
and she together will keep him interested. And so they made the proposal to their son that he travel to Israel. He said, I'm not interested in going to Israel, and I don't want to marry an Israeli girl. Finished. I'm not going. So they wrote to the Rebbe again. And the Rebbe said, no, so Israel will have to come to him. Sometime within the next month or so, this uh, mother was in a uh, went to her favorite bakery and noticed that the woman behind the counter was not the same woman who was there. So she asked, who are you? She said, I'm the niece of the, uh, the, the woman who's normally here. She says, what are you doing here? Why did you come? To, where are you from? She says, I'm from Israel. And she says, to tell you the truth, I don't even understand why I suddenly woke up one morning and got the urge to come to America. But here I am. I, my, my, I uh, booked a flight, and uh, I have an aunt over here, so I'm spending some time over here. I'm working here to make some money. It must have been somewhat, uh, we won't mention the legality of it now at this point, because this sort of happened in the 70s. And so they got to talking, and uh, this woman was very impressed with this young woman. And so she went to the aunt and said, how about your niece for my son? And so it was talked around, and this is how you do things. You know, I got a niece. <laughs> Would you like to go out with my nephew? That was always like this every Jewish mother's whatever. The word goes out. They, they got married. I mean, they, they went out. They liked each other. They decided to get married. They went to the Lubavitcher Rebbe to get a blessing. And the Lubavitcher Rebbe said to the mother, you see what I'm saying? He wasn't going to go to Israel. So Israel came to him. That's the show, and thank you so much for tuning in. We hope we had a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope we had a chance to educate you a bit. We hope we made Judaism a little bit more relevant to you. We hope you have a great week, and we hope to see you again back next week. Take care. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.